In a few weeks, we're going to have September 12th as a Sunday. I want you to mark it down on your calendar. We're going to have Back to Church Sunday. And it's our anniversary, uh, of really what we call the church anniversary. But we want to. I'm going to begin a series called Hope is Here. And uh, I want to start advertising that on uh, Instagram and on Facebook and uh, in personal invitations. And I want to encourage you in the next four weeks to invite somebody to church that day. And we want to have a fellowship afterwards. We want to make it a kind of a big blowout. Let's get the let's get the fall program started today, and it'll be the weekend after Labor Day weekend. So nobody should be traveling necessarily that weekend. Everything should be in full swing, and so just pray for that day if you will. But then let's also consider who we can invite, and whether it's a church member that hasn't been here in a long time and they're still going back and forth. Oh, I don't know if I want to go back. Uh, or if it's someone that has not been in church. We've had several visitors in the last several weeks who either were from other churches that are no longer having service in person, or uh, they're just straight-up visitors. They're like, man, I, I just need to find a church. I had some people that have moved into California, which is a little odd, but uh, moved into California and are looking uh, for a place to worship as well. I talked to some of them on the phone yesterday. And uh, so just be in prayer for that. Would you do that? Let's just pray for our church and pray that God would use us and and I get ready for that day. So First Samuel chapter 12. And I have gone back and forth uh, as to where uh, to read and where not to read. And uh, so uh, what I'm going to do is I'm going I'm to have you read just a couple of verses with me at the beginning of this. And then uh, we're going to follow up at the end of this. And then I'm going to preach through this entire chapter in First Samuel chapter 12. So I want to begin actually a couple of verses early. And that's in First Samuel chapter 11. And we're going to look at verse 14. And then we're going to read down through just a few beginning passages of 1 Samuel 12. And then we're going to go to the end of 1 Samuel chapter 12. All right. And uh, I promise it won't be too laborious. Okay. So, by the way, does everybody have an outline? If you don't have an outline, raise your hand. Do you have it? If you don't have it. David, can you grab them real quick? And uh, if you don't have one, uh, raise your hand real quick. And uh, we'll, well, there's a whole slew of you. Okay. John's got them right there. Keep your hands up. And uh, he can run the sound system and run around the auditorium all at the same time. It's awesome. Multitasker. There we go. I just want to make sure everybody's got one here before we start. That's good. By the way, I just want to take a consensus. Um, how many the outline helps you uh, either here or later? How many out, out the outline helps you? Okay, good. Well, that's the majority. So majority rules. Too bad. Um, I, I, you know, I haven't done that in a long time. I've been doing them forever. It took me a long time to learn how to do them as far as preach to stay to the outline. And, um, and, and I've always just wondered, is it really helpful? Cause I've had, you know, you have a couple of people say, man, I, I take this and it really helps me. And you just kind of don't know. And if we're just wasting paper, then I'd rather not print the paper. But if it does help, then, then that's a blessing. Okay. First Samuel chapter 11, look at verse 14. Then said Samuel to the people, come and let us go to Gilgal. And renew the kingdom there. Now, does anybody, just by way of trivia, remember why Gilgal is an important place? Where it's mentioned before, what happened there? Anybody? Some Bible scholar, student? No? Anybody? What happened at Gilgal? What was Gilgal? Anybody remember? Say it. Naomi, say it. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where that's where they pitched after Gilgal. Uh, God separated the waters from the waters, and they stood up on heaps, right, in the Jordan River, and they went through, and they pitched in Gilgal, which was before Jericho, and that's where the Lord met uh, Joshua, and he said, look, I'm the captain of your salvation, you probably don't recognize me, and that's when Joshua bowed down and said, this is holy ground, right? Okay, so that's Gilgal. So, it's significant there, you'll also remember, because 
there's supposed to be a pile of rocks there. Remember the stones that they took out of Jordan and said, what mean you by these stones? And he, he, he made a covenant there. Now, whether they were still there at this point, we don't know. But Gilgal was always important. All right. And now Samuel is saying, hey, let's go to Gilgal and let's renew the kingdom there. All right. Verse 15. And all the people went to where? Gilgal. Verse 15. All the people went where? Okay. Now we're there together. And there made, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. And there they sacrificed sacrifices of peace offerings before the Lord. And there Saul and all of the men of Israel, what? Rejoiced how? Greatly. So it was a time of rejoicing. It was a festival type atmosphere. They were excited because they got their king, right? And here now, even though he had been formally anointed, now he is formally put in or installed or inaugurated as their king, right? Okay, now look at verse uh, uh, chapter 12, verse 1. And Samuel said unto all Israel, Behold, I have hearkened to your voice in all that you said unto me, and have made a king uh, over you. And now, behold, the king walketh before you, and I am old and gray-headed. And behold, my sons are with you, and I have walked before you from my childhood until this day. All right. Now we're going to skip because we're going to cover this in the introduction here just in a little bit. We're going to skip verses three all the way through verse 19. I want you to pick it up in verse 20 with me. Okay. Verse 20. Samuel said unto the people, fear not. You have done all this wicked. You have done all this wickedness. Yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all of your heart. And turn you not aside. For then should you go after vain things which cannot profit nor deliver for they are what for the Lord will not forsake his people for his great namesake. I love this statement, man. You should underline it in your Bible because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you, but I will teach you notice the phrase, the good and the right way. The title of this morning's message is the good And the right way. Heavenly Father, thank you again for your word. I yield myself to you now and I ask that you would please use me as your vessel. I pray that the Holy Spirit would fill me. In fact, Lord, I even need your help to get out of your way. And so, God, as I surrender to you afresh and anew this morning, I ask that you would be pleased and that I would say only those things that you would have me to say. I pray that again that you would open our hearts, speak to us. We promise to listen. And the Lord, we ask for your wisdom then to obey you as we leave. Again, Lord, thank you so much for all these that are here today. Please bless them for their endeavor to be in the house of God as you have called us to do. We ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. From Judges 2, now you got to think about what I'm saying. I want you to engage today because I'm going to, this is a little different way for me to deliver the message. From Judges chapter 2 all the way in Scripture to 1 Samuel chapter 12. God has been dealing with Israel like a prodigal son, like a runaway bride. And uh, as the term of the judges, as we know it, comes to an end, here we are witnessing a turning point in the history of Israel. All this is just foundational, and you need to know this. If, if, we, if we lose the context of where we're reading or, he- or hearing preaching from in the Bible, we lose uh, the greatest parts of what we need to get from the Bible because context is everything, all right? So now here, this is new territory then uh, for the nation of Israel. Why? Because Saul becomes the first king of the nation. Before we get to the outlines, I want us to make sure that we understand the full and rich context of the passage 
in its entirety. So Saul is fresh off his victory. And in chapter 11, I didn't want to read it. I wanted to, but I think for time's sake, uh, we, we needed to just summarize it. In chapter 11, Saul is fresh off of his very first victory against Nahash, the king of the Ammonites. And so what basically happens is uh, the Ammonites come up. And they're like, we're going to take you down. And Saul says, uh, oh, or uh, the, the people of Jabesh Gilead say, oh, no, listen, before you kill us, um, give us a week to go and send messengers. And whatever happens, we'll let you know. And, you know, we want to present presents to you and gifts, whatever it takes. We, we just don't want you to kill us, at least right now. Just give us a chance to at least present ourselves. And they're like, OK, by the way. That's totally the Lord, because any enemy that would say, okay, we'll wait for you to prepare for battle is dumb. All right? So, okay, we'll let you prepare. Well, the messengers send back to where uh, Saul is at. He's not there present, but they tell all the people, and they're freaking out. They're like, oh, my goodness, we're going to be overrun. Well, the word gets to Saul, and the Bible says in uh, in um, 1 Samuel chapter 11 that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Saul, and he was stirred. He was angry. He was fired up. And he took 12 yoke of oxen and he hewed them all in pieces. And he sent them all around Israel. And he said, listen, this is going to happen to your oxen if you don't show up to fight. Now, that's a threat, really. But because he was king and he was head and shoulders above all, they send these oxen out and people showed up. Guess how many? 300,000. That is a huge force. 300,000. Saul takes them and he separates them into three companies. And by the hand of God and these 300 people, the Ammonites were completely dis, uh, uh, just disassembled. They were completely gone, right? They, they ran off and they chased them after. Well, now you know. Saul comes back after his fresh victory and Samuel says, okay, that's when you pick it up in verse 14. Here's what we want to do. We want to go to Gilgal and we want to freshly and permanently renew the kingdom and put it under Saul. So this is a time of rejoicing. Not only is it just happy because he's king, He's where they're happy because now what's happened is when they asked God, remember, give us a king. And specifically, they said that may go out before us into battle and fight for us. And so now they're like, man, we got it made. Saul is the man. And if he's not the man, you better make sure you say he's the man because he'll kill all your farm animals and you won't have any crops. In fact, remember at the end of the last message where we talked about Satan, remember that? We talked about how he didn't want Israel or Saul to go forward. And there was some people that be the sons of Belial. Remember that? That said, oh, who's this king? He's not going to reign over us. In verse 13, this is how far they went to. These guys said, hey, who were those guys that said Saul's not going to reign over us? And they killed them. They hunted them down. And then they go and install the king. So this is a humongous time of emotional elation. Would you understand that? So they were saved. They were saved through Saul. And now they're going to have this king. It was a time of jubilation, considering all that's taken place. Now, as soon as the people are settled, and we go from this coronation, if you will, in verse 3, you sense that Samuel now takes them from the coronation of a king to the courtroom of a judge. And I want you to see this in the passage. Look at verse 3. Behold, here I am. Notice the word witness against me before the Lord and before his anointed. That's the that's King Saul. And then here, notice the questions in the line of questioning. Whose ox have I taken or whose ass have I taken or whom have I defrauded? Whom have I oppressed? And by the way, you got to understand if you're saying this, you're not reading them like I'm reading them. Right. You're saying them 
asking if anyone's going to say anything. Okay, so it's slower, but you've got to picture this in your mind. Whom have I oppressed? I like this next one. Of, or of whose hand have I received any bribe to blind mine eyes therewith? And I will restore it. Now, why would he ask that question? Anybody? Why would he ask the question? No, no, but, but, but what's he asking? What, what, was, what was he? Samuel was a what? Not a prophet, but a what? A judge. So the Bible says in three previous chapters that he went around in circuit. He would go to three different places. Gilgal was one of them. And he would judge the people. They would come to him on matters. And he's saying, here, look, you came to me in judgment. And I want to know who's ever given me money to change my judgment, to blind mine eyes. Okay? I want to know, anybody speak up. Who have I defrauded? Who have I lied to? Who have I mistreated? Five questions. Five simple three or four word questions he asks to these people. Now, I want you to notice uh, in verse five. And he said unto them, uh, I'm sorry, verse four. And they said, thou hast not defrauded us, nor oppressed us, neither hast thou taken aught of any man's hand. And he said unto them, the Lord is witness against you and is anointed. Remember that Saul is witness this day that ye have not found aught in my hand. And they answered, he, that is God, is witness. Now, Samuel then, not only does he vindicate himself by his self-testimony, now, now get this, verses 7 through 13, he's going to vindicate God. Now think about it. Still the time of the judges. Samuel's the last judge. Verses 7 through 13, he begins to put the Lord's testimony on trial. All that he has spoken of the Lord that we'll get to later, begins to take hold in their heart. Let's read just a couple of verses. Samuel said unto the people, It's the Lord that advanced Moses and Aaron, and that brought your fathers up out of the land of Egypt. Now therefore stand still, that I may reason with you before the Lord of all the righteous acts of the Lord, which he did to you and to your fathers. Circle the word reason. It means to vindicate it means that Samuel is now, he's not defending the Lord. He's proclaiming all that God had done. And he's trying to get their attention. Look, anything that has ever happened good in this nation has come from the right hand of Almighty God. Okay? And then he begins to go line upon line. We're going to go through that here in just a little bit. Now he begins to vindicate the Lord. Well, now all of this begins to take a hold of their heart. And he talks to them, and I'll generalize it. Look, I want you to understand, Israel, God's been good. And God has been loving. And He has been kind to you. God has been faithful to you ever since you left Egypt. And God has been so willing to suffer, you're turned back, you're turned back and you're stiff-necked. He's, he's put up with all of this. Okay? And in your rejection of Him in requesting a king, God gave you one. By the way, what a gracious God. Okay? Now, verses 14 and 15, he calls them to repent and do right. Look at verse 14. If you will fear the Lord and serve him and obey his voice and not rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall both ye and also the king that reigneth over you continue following the Lord your God. But, that's a huge one. You need to circuit the Bible. But if you will not obey the voice of the Lord, but rebel against the commandment of the Lord, then shall the hand of the Lord be what? Against you, as it was against 
your fathers. He calls them to repent and do right. And he gives them a warning from the throne of grace. Samuel is transitioning from judge to prophet. See that? We've always known that he was both, but we never perhaps saw the turning point. So the turning point, first of all, is that now Israel has a king formally installed. And at the coronation, Samuel takes him to her courtroom. And before he delivers the blows of truth, he says, first of all, I want somebody to tell me what's wrong with my testimony. Because I want you to know what I'm about to say is not because I'm a fake, but because I'm true blue. You've watched my life. In fact, he says, I was before you from my childhood to this day, and now I'm old and gray-headed. You've watched all of my life. Now, in light of that, please somebody poke a hole in my testimony. Would somebody please punch the armor and give me a dent of something that I've done? Why is he doing that? Because he's laying his testimonial character before them because he knows what he's about to say. By the way, if you really want people to believe what you say you know about God, they should probably see how you live before him. It would give great weight to the matter of the gospel. Everybody understand that? So now Samuel transitions from judge, not to jury. He transitions to prophet. And he preaches to them. And he preaches them and gives them a warning. Then, this is super cool. Then, to prove his sincerity, God's sincerity, and to prove God's power, he does something crazy unusual. All right, look at verse 16. The Bible says, Now therefore stand and see this great thing which the Lord will do before your eyes. Verse 7, 17. It's not, uh, is it not wheat harvest uh, uh, today? Now, this is the end of the summer, so they're going to harvest their crops. Is it not the summertime? I will call unto the Lord, and he shall send thunder and what? Now, you need to underline that in your Bible. That's unusual. Completely unusual. By the way, it's another turning point, because except for God delivering them through the judges, period, this is the first time since Moses and Joshua that God is now going to purposely do something miraculous to get their attention. All right, now watch. This is super cool. So Samuel called unto the Lord, and the Lord sent thunder and rain that day. And all the people feared the Lord and Samuel. And all the people said unto Samuel, Pray for thy servants unto the Lord thy God, that we die not. For we had added... We have added unto all of our sins this evil to ask a king. Isn't that amazing? Not only have they been convicted of all of their sins specifically, but they come to the point in their heart where they said, you know what? Not only have we sinned, we've, they don't say the terms we've rejected God, but they say the line that comes along after that in the Bible. We've added to all this evil. We took a king. And what they're saying is, instead of letting God be king, we've chosen a man. And that's on us. Isn't that crazy amazing? That, that it would go from this time of rejoicing, yes, God saved that king. We whooped the Ammonites, and now let's party. And Samuel says, wait, before you carry on, I need to, I need to lay a few words on you. Now, all of a sudden, in the middle of the summertime, and by the way, 
where there's thunder, there's already been lightning. You have this big storm that doesn't happen in the summertime, and people go, uh... And, and, and all of I can just picture, can you just picture some of the, the Jews that, that were trying, you know, they, they learned the law, they learned the story of Moses, and they see all this happening, the clouds just out of the, out of the clear blue sky, it all darkens, thunder and lightning and rain, and all of a sudden, anybody that has any kind of brain matter between their earlobes in that time goes, oh, that's the God of Exodus. That's the God that thumped the Egyptians, and this is to verify God gave them a sign that what Samuel just said is absolutely true. Wow. Now that God has their attention, they come to their spiritual senses. And they go, yeah. Samuel, you're right. This whole day is really not about a king on this earth. This whole thing is about a king up in heaven. It's about our rejection of that king. This whole day, we thought it was all about us. We thought all of this was all about us. But Samuel, you're right. It's not about us. It's about him and how we've treated him. We had it all wrong. And now we need to make it all right. Pray for us. Pray that God would not kill us. And we commit, we, we confess we've sinned. Is that amazing? Immediately, God takes these soft-hearted people by the hand. Immediately, when their hearts are tenderized by the truth and by the visible sign of an almighty God, He takes them by the hand. And He says, now come here and I'm going to show you how much I love you. Look at verse 20. Now we'll pick it up. Now this makes sense. They just asked, Samuel, pray for us that God destroy us not. Verse 20, Samuel said unto the people, fear not. You actually have done all this wickedness. Yet turn not aside from following the Lord, but serve the Lord with all of your heart. Look at verse 23. Moreover, as for me, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Look up here. What does that mean? He had already been. And he's not going to stop. He had confessed. Look, I prayed for this day. I'm, and I'm, God forbid that I should stop praying for you. I'm not only going to pray for you, but I promise I'm going to teach you the good and the right way. What a loving God. God could have turned his back. Right? He could have said no, but what did he see? He saw the sincerity of a heart at the moment of conviction. And he said, I can work with that. And by the prophet's voice, he takes his children by his hand. And he says, come on, let's go. I'm going to show you a better way. And I'm going to help you. I want you to succeed. You ever think about that? God wants you to succeed. Let's say it a different way. Did you know that God wants to bless you? Now, his blessings may be a little different from the blessings you think he needs to bless you with. But the good part about this is he wants all of us to succeed. He wants all of us to be true and real in our hearts to him. And when we are, he says, okay, 
come here. I want to go with you. I want to take you to greener pastures. I want to take you to higher mountains. I want to make you to lie down in green pastures. I want to lay you right beside the still waters. And I want to restore your soul. I want to lead you in the paths of righteousness for my name's sake because I'm the good shepherd. Now, fine, you can say you have a king, but I am your God. Now, immediately he takes them and he takes them to the trailhead of the good and right way, right? Now, the good and right way refers to the way that God blesses. The words good and right way altogether refers to the way that is becoming of the people of God. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if I if I am a citizen of heaven, according to Philippians chapter three, I should live a life that's becoming a citizen of heaven. In other words, a life that's appropriate to where I'm supposed to be or where I call home. Does that make sense? So the good and right way. God's saying, look, I want to show you now the trailhead to the path that will tell everybody who you really are, who you really belong to, and it's me. Now, it refers to the path of God's joy. It's known as the path, or as Jesus said it, the straight way, the way that, that leads to righteousness, like I mentioned. So here God tells his people the way they should go and us by way of the scriptures. And in a day when people all around us are making their own moral code. People like the people and the judges. Well, you're saying that it's wrong for you, but it's not wrong for me. I think it's right. Whatever I think is right for me. You can't tell me, Dave, what's wrong for me because truth is relative. I want to do this because this makes my flesh feel good and you can't tell me that that's wrong. Even if the Bible says it, you can't tell me that because of the day. Or I'm going to make my own moral code. By the way, normal people, or I should say unsaved people, are not the only ones doing that. Christians are going their own way. I, I read it again in Isaiah this week. This week, God's people were going their own way. And, and by the way, we're all prone to do that, are we not? And so God, by His grace, every time... We want him to. Now, I, I hedge to say every time we open the Bible. I hedge to say every time we hear preaching. Because sometimes it doesn't happen because we don't want it to happen. Right? I can open the Bible and read the Bible and have nothing happen. Have you ever had that happen to you? It's happened to me. Open the Bible and read it. Shut it. And, and it, it never. I don't, I don't feel like God spoke to me about anything. But 100% of the time, when I say to the Lord sincerely, God, will you please take your word and speak to me through your word? When I'm sincere about it, 100% of the time, he does. And 100% of the time, he takes me back to that trailhead because I've gotten off the path. He says, look, let's start over. His mercies are new every morning. I'll take you back to that trail. You know, The one you were on, the one I set you on, the one that Moses took you. And when he spread apart the the waters and he held up his rod, he said, go. And he never rescinded it. So keep going. I'm going to take you right back there. And every time I want him 
to show me where that is. And I want him to speak to me. He is faithful to every time. Do it. Why? Because he wants me to succeed. He wants to bless me. He wants me to live in joy. He doesn't want me to live in guilt. He doesn't want me to live in shame. That was put on Jesus. So I didn't have to. He wants me to keep going. He wants to help me keep going. And so he says through the Bible, look, I want to show you the good and the right way. And I'm going to help you. And he lays it out in verse 24 in three simple ways. And they're not, they're not privy to this. He's just doing what a gracious, loving father and a teacher always does. He repeats himself. He repeats himself. You know what I mean? Honey, where did I put my wallet? I just told you where it was and you don't remember. Right? We we're talking about that last night, right? You say something and you don't even remember what you said or someone says something you don't remember. You forget. It's kind of like we are. So God's going to bring this up. I want to give you three simple, three simple lessons that he puts forth. And it's in verse 24. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all of your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. Isn't that amazing? But look at verse 25. But if ye shall still do wickedly, ye shall be consumed, both ye and your king. So let's look at verse 24. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. For consider how great things he hath done for you. So here they are. Ready? Number one. The first lesson is about our reverence to God. Only fear the Lord. You see that? Our reverence to God. When you talk about God, or when you mention the name of God, Jehovah, Elohim, Adonai, El Elyon, El Shaddai, Jesus Christ. Is it with reverence? Or do we just say it? The term only fear the Lord is a statement that refers to regarding as worthy of great honor. It's to show devoted deferential honor. Now, what does it mean to defer? Anybody want to tell me? What's it mean to defer? Huh? Right. So if I, if I come over to your house, Vicki, and you say, Pastor, I want you to sit here. Um, and I go, oh no, that's the head of the table. That's probably where Dave sits. And you're gonna, de- you want to defer to me. I'm trying to defer to her, but she wants to defer to me. That is submitting to someone else's wishes. That's exactly what it means. It means I'm putting their wish, their will above mine. That's what the fear of the Lord is. The fear of the Lord is to regard him not only with great honor, but to show devoted deferential honor, to defer. When you defer to your wife, when she would rather go to Ladera instead of McDonald's, that's not fearing her wrath. That's, that's about honoring her. That's about not wanting to disappoint her, but rather to make her happy, right? That's the same idea. Now, yes, there is an awe because it's almighty God. And, and I'm going to talk about that in a minute. But it's not a fear like, oh, my goodness, he's our father. He wants us to succeed. And we come to him as a judge instead of a father. And it discredits the value of our relationship with God. And so God says, look, I want you to succeed. There's no parent in here that doesn't want every child that they born to succeed. You want them all to succeed. And you want to do everything you can to help them succeed. So why am I approaching him as a judge instead of a father? I'll tell you why, because Satan tells you to do so. Now watch. 
If I don't want to dis look, Israel knew what the fear of the Lord was all about. They already do. It's about honor, trust and obedience. Proverbs one and verse seven. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Proverbs eight thirteen. The fear of the Lord is to hate evil, pride and arrogancy in the evil way and the forward mouth. Do I hate? That's part of the fear of the Lord. Ecclesiastes twelve thirteen. Listen to this. Ah, the wisest cat in the whole world. Solomon said this. Oh, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter of this book that I write. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is the whole duty of man. The whole purpose of my childhood under God is to fear him and obey him according to the wisest man that ever lived. Now, probably then you'll understand what I'm about to say. The deadliest step for anyone is when they know when they when God is no longer worthy of great honor. When God is no longer worthy of great, devoted, differential honor is the deadliest step. When we no longer, when we're no longer in awe of God's majesty and holiness and we make him less than he really is. Romans chapter 1 and verse 21. Because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Listen, neither were, were thankful. What happened? but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. And they changed the glory of an uncorruptible God into the image made like unto corruptible man. Follow. We don't want God. We want a king. Why? Because God was no longer worthy of great honor. When they knew God, They glorified him not as God, neither were thankful. I find it interesting that Samuel tells them about this principle in verse 21 of our text. Go back and look at it. And turn not aside, talking about from following and serving the Lord with all your heart, for then should you go after, notice, vain things. Oh, look, which cannot profit nor deliver, for they are vain. Let me ask you a question. Are you? Are you going after vain things instead of seeking and pursuing God? Let me put it maybe in a little better English. We can pursue things to satisfy, fill us, give us security, everything that we want, and be empty, like the word vain means, instead of pursuing God. Because when I pursue anything with my whole heart other than God, I always come up empty. Why? Because the Bible says they don't profit. That word means benefit. It, it, it's not usable for me. I, I can go after, name it, doesn't matter. Peace, love, joy, money, possessions, prestige, all of it. And I'm going to fall short. Why? Because it's all vain. I'm not pursuing the author of all that is good. I'm just pursuing, listen, his goods. You see? He told him about it. See, it's obvious from our text that God is trying to bless here. He wants Israel to succeed. He wants Saul to succeed. And he wants to bless them for their obedience. And in order for that to happen, Samuel tells him, look, only fear the Lord. Don't lose these facts of who God is. Revelation 11, verse 16, And the four and twenty elders which sat before God on their seats fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, 
We give thee thanks, O Lord God Almighty, which art and was and art to come, because thou hast taken to thee thy great power and hast reigned. Now that's at the throne of God today, at this moment. And what are we doing in our life on a daily basis? How much more are we giving honor and glory and pursuit to other than God? Where did it lead Israel? Look, if you read the Bible, you should read it for what it is. This is a life lesson of people who lived long before we did, but have made the same mistakes. And yet God says, okay, I see your heart. He takes us by the hand when we're ready. And he says, now let me show you the good and right way again. Because he had already told them. He had already told them through the law. He had already told them in giving them the land. He had already rescued them. He would already gone through all that. So he talks about the reverence of God. Secondly, he talks about our reservations with God. And I'm not talking about a reservation like a dinner reservation. The next phrase in the verse, only fear the Lord. And then it says, and serve him in truth. And then there's a phrase, with all your what? Say it again, with all your? So let's say it again. Only fear the Lord and serve Him in truth with all your? They knew that when it came to loving God and serving God with all their heart, listen, they had reservations. Now see, if I say it in that context, you know what I'm saying. It's true, we don't reverence God enough, but it's also true that we don't, that we don't do enough for God in truth with all of our heart. We also have reservations about giving God all of our love. We reserve part of that. Let's be honest for ourselves. We're supposed to love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all thy heart, soul, mind, and strength. Well, all is, you know, we can interpret that differently. What's all for me is not all for you. What's all for you is not all for me. Right? Lord, Lord, if I give you all of my life, I won't have nothing left. If I give you all of my love, I won't have any love for myself. When it comes to loving God or serving Him or devoting our life, we have our reservations. Our love, our service, our trust, and our obedience are addressed in Scripture as needing to be wholehearted. Which reminds us that the heart of the problem is always a problem of the heart. Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 5. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. Proverbs 3, 5. Trust the Lord with all thine heart and lean not into thine own understanding. Deuteronomy 26, 16. This day the Lord thy God hath commanded thee to do these statutes and judgments that thou shalt, listen, that thou shalt therefore keep and do them with all thine heart, with all thy soul. Deuteronomy 4 and verse 29. But if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him if thou seek him with all thine heart and all thy soul. Man, I mean, if you want to talk about that phrase, let's talk about it. Let's talk about the fact that when God asks for all, we don't mind giving him some. Why? Because we have our reservations. This phrase with all thy heart always means with complete and whole sincerity. Without dissembling. You know what dissembling means when you read that word in the Bible? By the way, the Bible's made up of words, and words have meanings. And if you don't know what they mean, you should look them up. Okay, the word dissembling. You know what it means? Concealing motives. Concealing motives. Or being divided. 
Now, well, that statement, every hypocrite and every half-hearted Christian should feel pricked. Because we dissemble all the time. We come to church, whether even sometimes at work or in front of our family, and we conceal. We want people to think that we're always more spiritual than we really are. And we conceal. God says, no, I want all that curtain to fall. I don't want any dividers. I don't want there to be anything between your soul and my throne. I want you to come boldly into the throne of grace that you may obtain grace and mercy to help in your time of need. But I've got you to, I, I need you to recognize the fact Not just that you need me because of your sin, but that you need me in light of your sin. And you need me each and every day. I want to be honored. Why? So I can help you succeed. So I can give you my hand. So I can show you the good and right way. This hits me because when I watch my favorite teams play, I'm all in. If the Dallas Cowboys, like I think they probably will, go all the way not saying they're going to be undefeated. They'll, they'll lose a couple people, certainly not the Washington football team. But they'll go all the way through the season, win through the playoffs, and you know what, Ray? We're going to the Super Bowl, baby. He's, or something. <laughs> We're going to go all the way. Michael, don't shake your head. I'm not looking at you. You negative, negative naysayer. If, if they're playing and they're red hot, look, we're all in. Especially if they're red hot. The Dodgers are going to go, they're going to destroy the Giants. We're going all the way to the World Series again. We're going to get the ring legit and no cheating involved. The Giants are going to be slate. It's going to be L.A. versus Oakland again. And this time we're going to beat them again, soundly. Now, watch it come true and be like, Pastor's a prophet, Dave. (laughs) Now watch. When our teams are playing, we are all in. We're dressing up. We're getting it all in. We're... You know, we don't even play football. We're putting the black down here. And we're like, oh, we lost. I didn't lose. You lost. You know what I mean? Or we won. We scored five. No, I didn't do anything. I armchaired the whole time, right? What are we doing? We are all in. That's why it's so convicting. When I watch my kids play sports, I am all in. If you ever wondered whether I was all in, you should have just gone. When our school was open and we were playing volleyball, I, I almost got kicked out of a couple of volleyball games. And I, I cannot confirm or deny that I was almost kicked out of an SCBA basketball league one, one year for watching my son play basketball. You can decide for yourself whether you think that's possible. When they play, I am all in. I'm not even on the floor and I'm competitive. I mean, I was just short of kids running by and me tripping the other team. I was just, I was that close. That's how bad, watch, I'm involved. Could we say it that way? That's how bad I am involved. I am encompassed with what's going on at that moment. I am all in. Now you know why this statement is so convicting to me. When I get ready to go on a trip that I've really looked forward to, I'm all in. I am, I'm all about making lists. My dad, when I was little, I thought, oh, okay, yeah, let's make lists. And I thought, oh, that'll never stick. Dude, to this day, before I go on a trip, I make lists. Clothes list, food list, everything. I, I, I make a list of things I got to do to the truck, things I got to do to the trailer, all that stuff. I, I, I mean, I am just, I'm a list hound because I don't want to miss one thing. I'm all about what I'm about to do. You know why that convinced me? When I'm on my knees before God, 
when I'm sitting in a sermon, when I'm singing to the Lord, am I all in then? See? God says, I don't want you to dissemble. I want it all. In a very specific way, God's telling them, the key to your problems in your past is a divided heart. And so, if you don't mind, I'd like to have it all now. If you don't mind, I'd like to end this time of Judges with the first prophet. If it's okay with you, I'd like to have all your heart now. Because I haven't had it since the time of Joshua. And the Bible discovers that in Joshua 1 and 2. I haven't had it in a long time. And I liked it when you were, you know, when it was just us. When, when, when I enjoyed that close fellowship with you. But I'd like to have that again if it's okay with you. And I want to show you how to do that. I want you to revere me. I don't want you to have any reservations in your heart. God says, I have all of this love. And I, I want to give it to you. I understand from all of this that if God has all of my love, then he will have all of my faith because he has all of my life. Matthew chapter 10 and verse 39, Jesus put it this way, he that findeth his life is going to lose it. But he that loseth his life for my sake shall what? Isn't it interesting that he uses he that findeth his life? Why? Because he's searching for his life. He wants a king instead of God. God wants us to succeed, so he shows us the path that includes our reverence, our reservations. Lastly, our reflection upon God. Our reflection upon God. If it's true that we don't fear God enough, and we don't love and trust him sincerely enough, then it must also be true that we just don't think about God enough. The people, in li- the people living during this time in Israel had gotten to this junction by living their own way. Please don't forget the context that I tried to lay down for you. By doing that which is right and best for their families in their own eyes. The only time they turned to God was when they were in trouble. And because of their choices, their trouble was cyclical. Now, God wants us to think about Him, acknowledge Him, to consider all He has done. Um, Someone said reflection causes gratitude and also produces faith. So let's be honest. When we don't think about God and his hand, we don't think about it enough. We just don't. What do we not think about? Well, first of all, letter A, we don't think about his deliverance enough. Look at verses 7 and 8. We're finally here. Now, therefore, stand still that I may reason with you before the Lord of all thy righteous acts of the Lord. Verse 8. When Jacob was come into Egypt and your fathers cried unto the Lord, then the Lord sent Moses which brought forth your fathers out of Egypt and made them dwell in this place. What is that? That's the deliverance. You you don't think about where this all started. It started with me. You don't think about how you got saved. All throughout the Old Testament, God reminds Israel over and over again about their deliverance, their deliverance. You read it, whether it's in the Psalms or throughout the Old Testament. Let's go back and talk about your forefathers. Let's go back and talk about Egypt. Let's go back and talk about the fact that I put plagues on them. Let's go back and talk about the fact that you didn't come out on your own arm. You came out on the strong arm of God. Let's talk about the fact that I divided the waters. Let's talk about the fact that you passed through. And let's talk about the fact that you still betrayed me over and over and over again. What does God bring up? The deliverance. The one thing that keeps believers from enjoying their salvation and living a fulfilled life is the sin that they're living in. 
And, and, and it's that we don't think about Jesus hanging on the cross and bearing our iniquities and dying for our sin. We don't reckon the fact. The Bible says in Romans 6, reckon it to be so. The fact that we've been made free from sinning every day. We don't think about it. Uh, Romans 6 and verse 17, I think you have it in your notes. But God be thanked that you were servants of sin, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered to you. Listen, being then made free from sin, you became the servants of righteousness. Oswald Chambers said, do I seek stop sinning to stop sinning? He said, to be born of God means that I have the supernatural power of God to stop sinning. How? By obeying the life of God in us. I have the power. You have the power. Not if you're not taking of the cup of salvation every day and assimilating the fact that, listen, God has delivered me. All I have to do is to reckon the fact that I am dead indeed unto sin and alive unto Christ. I'm no longer a servant to sin. By the way, neither are you. If you think about it. The reflections. What's Samuel doing? Let's go back and let's remember. Think about it. If you're born again, you don't have to keep sinning. You've been set free from it all. So why are we? Don't. You don't have to. This day could be a turning point for you. It could be a time of rejoicing. Why? The sacrifice has already been made. The peace offering of Christ on the cross has already been laid for all of us. We just need to think about it a little more. Our reflections. We don't think about our deliverance. Secondly, we need to think about his honor. Look at verse 9. And it's in the very first phrase. And when they forgot the Lord, their God, you see that they forgot the Lord, their God. He sold them into the hand of Sisera, captain of the host of Hazor and into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the king of Moab. And they fought against them. Why? Why did all this happen? Because they didn't want to honor him anymore as God. They forgot him. They weren't thinking about him anymore. Why was every man doing that which is right in his own eyes? Because they weren't thinking about God. They weren't thinking about his commands. They weren't thinking about his holiness. They forgot the Lord. They forgot that before Moses, God was El Shaddai as the almighty God. But when Israel uh, was born and carried through the water, he told Moses, look, before I was known as El Shaddai, now I want to be known as Jehovah. I want you to know me as Jehovah. I want you to know me as the covenant keeping God of Israel that will always keep his promise to you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will always be for you. But you got to honor me as Jehovah. Because remember, I'm not just Jehovah. I'm also El Shaddai. I am the almighty God. And I will keep all of my promises. He wanted to be known that way. Sing forth the honor of his name. Psalm 66 two. Make his praise glorious. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O Lord, my God, thou art very great. Thou art clothed with honor and majesty. What am I trying to do? Will you allow me? Could I just lift up the fact that God is absolutely amazing today? That, that he is all worthy. The Bible uses the word terrible. That it's beyond our imagination. Whatever you think, your highest thought about God, it's not high enough. It's not good enough. It's not holy enough. He's greater than all of that. We are limited in our understanding about who God is. But we are not limited in how we praise him. We don't think about our deliverance. We don't think about his honor enough. Thirdly, we don't think about his goodness and mercy enough. Look at verses 10 through 13. This just keeps getting better and better. And they cried unto the Lord. Why? Because they were delivered. Remember verse 9? 
There was three different times where God says, look, I delivered you to these hands because you rejected me. Verse 10. And what happened? They cried unto the Lord and said, we've sinned because we've forsaken the Lord and have served Balaam and Ashtaroth. But now deliver us out of the hand of our enemies and we will serve thee. And look at verse 11. What does God do? The Lord sent Jerubel and Bedan and Jephthah and Samuel and delivered you out of that. By the way, do you think that was a little awkward for Samuel? To say his own name? You think it's a little awkward? Would it be awkward for you? I mean, it'd be a little awkward. That'd be like that'd be like Scott McCrossin standing up and saying, "Hey, shout him out in Baptist Church. I'm God's gift to you." I mean, it would feel that way. It'd feel a little weird. But he goes through these judges, and then he puts himself in the last of the line, and Samuel. And watch, the Bible says, "And delivered you out of the hand of your enemies on every side, and you dwelled safe." And when you saw that Nahash, the king of the children of Ammon, came against you, ye said unto me, Nay, but a king shall reign over us when the Lord your God was your king. Verse 13, this is key. Now, therefore, behold the king. And Saul, uh, Samuel turns and he points. The word behold means he's calling attention to. He points to Saul. Now, therefore, behold the king whom ye have chosen and whom ye desired. And behold, the Lord hath given you what you asked for. He's given you the king over you. You see, the Bible portrays God in pursuit of us. As we turn every man to his own way, dreaming up anything and every vain thing to do except honoring him in the moment. And yet when our lives turn upside down and we cry out, there he is. Gracious and merciful and forgiving, arms wide open. What's he doing? Working all things together for good. To them that love God, to them who are the called according to, his moment, uh, according to his purpose, even by using a king. Think about it. They rejected God. He said to Samuel, they've not rejected you. They've rejected me. Now give them what they want. And then God steps back, preaches to him. And they say, okay, we've seen, we've sinned. And he goes, okay. Remember that thing, the king that I wasn't for? I'm going to use it anyway. That is a merciful And a gracious God. Can somebody testify to that this morning? A God that would love that unconditionally is worthy of great honor. And he calls them to the fact that, dude, you turn your back on God. You did all this. God's been faithful to you. He's been merciful and gracious. And now you ask for a king. You rejected God. He gave you a king. And he's going to work it for your benefit anyway. What a gracious, loving God. What decisions have you made that have been wrong? God said, it's okay. You're mine. And I'm going to use your wrong decision in a loving and a right way. I'm going to bless you in spite of you. It's not about you. It's about me. Lastly, he's telling him to think about his love. I love verse 22 so much. For the Lord will not forsake his people. Boy, that is a statement that you've got to hold on to as a child of God. Will not forsake his people. And it's not because of us. And he tells Israel, look, I didn't choose you because you were great in number or skilled or whatever. I chose you just because I chose you. He says, why? I will not forsake my people for my own namesake. It's because of me. And then he says, because it hath pleased the Lord to make you his people is that not mind-boggling to anybody else? He just went through the cycle of 
neglect, rejection, stubbornness, backsliding, all of this stuff. Then you cry to God, please save us. And God saves us. And we don't want you. We want a king. We want our, we just want our way. And yet it pleased God to make you his people. Listen, but God commended his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. What an amazing truth about God's love. And he never quits. He was joyful. The Bible says, who for the joy set before him endured the cross. What was the joy? Pleasing himself to make you his child. We don't think about that enough. That it it proves God's love that he would slay his own son hanging on the tree for my sin. And it pleased him to get me. This is all he got for what he gave. Unbelievable. I don't think about that enough. If I did, I probably wouldn't make the same mistake twice. I probably would give him more honor. And I probably could be okay with saying, God, you can have my whole heart. I wouldn't have the reservations if I would just take time to reflect. Would you agree with that? Turn in your Bible to Ephesians chapter 3 and we're done. I, I'm, I'm sorry for being long. I, I love the book of 1 Samuel. And if you don't know that by now, I don't, even, I don't know what more I can do to convince you. This, this passage and these passages in 1 Samuel are so modern. Would you agree? They are so today. But look at Ephesians chapter 3. Now, this is God after the resurrection. <laughs> now, instead of looking forward to looking at God's love, now... Paul's looking back at the cross. Now watch. Ephesians 3 verse 16. He's praying for the church at Ephesus that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with the might by his spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able, watch, to comprehend not just you with all saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height of what? To know the love of Christ, which passeth all knowledge. Watch, that you may be filled with the knowledge of what? That you may be filled with the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able, this is God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can ask or think according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church. By Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end, and all God's people said, Amen. Isn't that amazing? Samuel tells the people of God, Look, I want you to succeed, and I'm not, I, I want to preach to you, and I'm going to pray for you, but at the end of the day, you've got to be the ones that walk in the good and the right way. I'm going to teach you, I'm going to take you right to the path, but I can't make you go therein. You have to walk that path by faith. You've got to assimilate this truth. You've got to deal with the fact that God loves you. He's been merciful and he's not done with you because of your stubbornness. By the way, verse 25 says, if you don't, then you'll be consumed. The word means completely destroyed. If you don't, not only are you going to be destroyed, but your king that you chose is going to go down with you. And it won't be my fault. It'll be yours. These people have been running away from God. 
And for a brief moment in time, they finally see they've been on a wrong path and how they got there. And listen, this is a turning point for Israel. Has God lost his honor in your life? Have you lost your first love? Have you forgotten how you got to the place that you are? Because apparently they had no idea how they got to this place. But God had to remind them. An older couple had trouble remembering common day-to-day things like most of us. They both decided that they would write down requests the other one had and they would try to avoid to forget. So one evening the wife asked if the husband would like anything. And he replied, yes, I'd like a large ice cream sundae, by the way. And I'd like to have chocolate ice cream, whipped cream, and I'd like to have a cherry on top. So the wife started off for the kitchen and the husband shouted after her, aren't you going to write it down? She yelled back, don't be silly. I'm going to fix it right now. I won't forget. So she was gone for a little while. Pretty soon she arrived back and she sat down right in front of him, a large plate of hash browns and eggs and bacon and a glass of orange juice. He took a look and said, I knew you should have written it down. You forgot the toast. Shield back, don't be silly. I'm going to fix it right now. I won't forget. (laughs) See, we all forget stuff, don't we? We all forget. We may forget. But God never forgets. You're saved. The Bible says you're right here. (laughs) Your name is is written in the palm of his hands. Your times are right here. Your whole life rests in the palm of the almighty God. You know what we need to do? We need to not be forgetful. Because reflection keeps us humble, keeps us grateful, keeps us fearful, and keeps us usable. Only fear the Lord and serve him in truth with all your heart. But consider what great things, how great things. Get done for thee. God, we love you and we thank you, <laughs> Lord, for all that you've done. And God, if we could say it publicly, all that you continue to do to make us to be successful. Lord, you died on the cross and you rose again three days later and you gave us victory in Jesus. And this is the victory that overcometh the world by faith and Lord when we even when we fail you still are for us having victory God for that we cannot and will not cease to praise you and to thank you for all of eternity but for a brief moment in time this morning I pray that we wouldn't wait for that day to praise you and to thank you for all that you've done you have been so merciful and gracious to us and God As the people of Israel said, we have added unto all of our sins this evil. And we've decided to make ourselves king. Lord, today I pray that as a church, every individual would simply offer ourselves to you as a lamb. God, that we would give you for today, perhaps the first time in our life, our entire heart. All of it. With all of our heart that we would give you all of our love, that we would confess those vain things that we've been in pursuit of, and we simply would give it to you. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, as Jenna plays, I don't know what kind of business you need to do with the Lord today, but could I just beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you would?